0: Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. We've made it to the book, uh, to the chapter 24 in the book of Second Chronicles. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he became king and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibia of Beersheba. So you see here what we're reading about is one of the kings that's fulfilling one of the prophecies that were given um previously in the um books we've read so far um and although some preachers will try to twist this you they started doing this when obama was elected um and they're doing it now they do it when democrats are in office because they're right-wing conservative so-called conservative religious people bible thumpers and so they think that it's wrong to um support anything on the left and they think when jesus says cast the net on the right side of the vote he meant politically Not uh, uh, the wrong side of of the boat, (laughs) but, you know, believe what you want. But the um, thing is, um, the people we're talking about are the descendants of the King David. And you see here, one of them is a little kid. And that was one of the warnings and one of the prophecies that people were given that if they decided to be faithful, they'd be blessed. But if they decided to basically backslide they be cursed and children and women would be put over them. And that's not me saying that. It's what the prophecy said. Um, as a punishment for the backsliding. So, so you see it here happening already with this Joash, only seven years old, and he's the king. Um, so even though preachers will try and twist it to make it um, something in modern times, that's not what it's saying. It was referring to this and others, because he's not the only one, and those prophecies being fulfilled. And I just think it's Terrible when preachers tell you, oh, this hasn't happened yet, or that hasn't happened yet. Well, if all those prophecies still haven't happened yet, what was the point of giving them to the people in the Bible uh, to look for them for? It wouldn't make any sense, giving them prophecies that didn't apply to them. Uh, but this is where we're at, and this is what we're talking about. So let's see, verse 2. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. So the narrator here of Second Chronicles, unnamed, is letting us know in their estimation Joash was a righteous king. And that he was righteous as long as Jehoiada the priest was, I guess, uh, on his game. Verse 3. And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. So uh, you see again where Bible-thumping hypocrites go wrong again, where they say marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman. Clearly not true. In the biblical days, the men had as many wives as, and side pieces, and prostitutes, and in some cases, boys, like we said before. As they could afford or as they wanted, as long as they didn't belong to someone else, married to someone else already, that was the definition of the adultery. Not if the man was horish, but if he was horish with someone else's property, some other, someone else's spouse. O P P. Verse four. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. So um, he's got him some wives. He's got him some kids. Now he's Focusing on his faith by repairing the house of the Lord, the temple, the synagogue, the place of worship. In these repairs, because like we've read again and again, when new kings take office, they tear down the different places and things and objects of worship that people will worship before their reign. But uh, this could be from something else because they also have wars. Let's read on, verse five. Then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them. Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. So the king's given an order for them, uh, the Levites that the religious leaders, the priestly uh, branch of the Israelite family, um, he's told them to go out and gather alms, basically go do some collecting, some fundraising for the temple. Uh, he told them to get on it and do it quickly, but apparently they weren't pressed. Verse 6, so the king called Jehoiada the chief priest and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection, according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord and of the assembly of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness? So the king is asking Jehoiada the priests, basically the religious head, What's going on? How come he hasn't done what he told him to? And sent the priests out to go and collect some money from the people. Verse seven: For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented it, presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. So um, apparently, the narrator here, the scribe of Second Chronicles, is letting us know that the previous queen, Athaliah. Um, some of the evil things she did was take some of the holy articles, the relics that were considered uh, you know, exclusively for worship um, uh, the entity of Jehovah, Jehovah that entity of the Lord that the people worshipped them. She took those things and dedicated them to some of the other entities that she considered holy and worshipped the Baals and that translates to masters it, it seems to be um, demons, evil spirits, something like that along those lines that, uh, were very popular that people seem to also worship. Verse eight, then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside at the gate of the house of the Lord. So the king wants them to start collecting money so that they can get on it with the repairs to the church, to the temple, to the place of worship. The priests haven't been, um, expeditious about doing it so now the king has said put a collection box outside of the building so verse nine and they made a proclamation excuse me verse nine and they made a proclamation throughout judah and jerusalem to bring to the lord the collection that moses the servant of god had imposed on israel in the wilderness so um they've set up the collection box and proclaimed uh Basically, a taxation is what it amounts to. It's a it's a levy on every person that uh, they have to pay and it's going to go toward the religion. Um, I forget what exactly it was. Um, They'll probably mention it here. So let's keep reading. Verse 10. And just in case you don't know, Moses is the same Ten Commandments. Moses Judah is the same um, patriarch, one of the twelve tribal patriarchs. And Jerusalem is the same Jerusalem that exists in modern times. Verse 10. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought their contributions, and put them into the chest until all had given. So it wasn't that the people were stingy about giving. It's just that uh, they weren't asked yet. Um, So they put the chest up, the collection box out to collect money, and the people are gladly giving to it. Verse 11. So it was at that time. When the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, that the king's scribe and the high priest's officer came, and emptied the chest, and took it and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. So you see, it's officially become a business. They've turned our father's house into a marketplace. They've turned the religion into a business. They've made it about collecting money, not about saving souls, not about guiding people to God. It's about enriching themselves, and they see it's very profitable. They put a chest out there, and it overflowed, so now they're going to put a chest out regularly, and they've collected money regularly, excuse me, in abundance, as it says. Verse 12, The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the money at this point is going toward the repairs just as it was intended. Verse 13. So the workmen labored and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. So um, they've completely uh, refurbished the house of God, the temple, the synagogue, the place of worship uh what's not mentioned here so far is uh the accounting of the things i remember when we read previously about the construction projects they basically did an honor system where they just let the freemasons the priests the people who had access to the treasury freely have access to it and not have any accounting for it a lot like the military in 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 america where they get billions and billions of dollars and nearly 40, 50% of it just goes missing and unaccounted for. And there's no accounting of it. There's no charges taken up against them. There's no uh, slashes in the budget since clearly they don't need it. Since uh, they're not even able to account for where it's gone, um, none of that happens. And you see, it's the, it's basically the same thing. Um, that's what we read about previously, that there was no accounting for the different masons and whatnot that did the construction. Um, And again, it was basically like like an honor system, but not everyone is honorable. In fact, very few people are honorable, no matter how they may appear to be. So it doesn't take much to corrupt people. And you see cases, chests full of money overflowing out of them, um, being donated daily in abundance. How hard would it be for even one of the most righteous or honorable, honest people to not be tempted. It'd be tough not to be tempted by all that money flowing and seeing that the people around you, because no doubt the priests enrich themselves, seeing them enriching themselves with all those donations. It'd be hard, I would think, to be in that environment and not also, just like Congress, start enriching yourself. But maybe, verse 13, I'm sorry, that was verse 13, verse 14. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and jehoiada they made from it articles for the house of the lord articles for serving and offering spoons and vessels of gold and silver and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the lord continually all the days of jehoiada so the money's gone to the service at least according to what's written here excuse me for the uh place of worship the different articles that they minister with like the spoons and whatnot the serving articles the vessels all of that. They've um, used it toward furnishing the place of worship. Verse 15. Um, but Jehoiada grew old and was full of days. and He died. He was 130 years old when he died. So Jehoiada the priest has passed on and he passed on at 130 years old, which uh, uh, is another contradiction. After the a biblical contradiction, we read, reread in Genesis where people like Methuselah were living many hundreds of years. Then we read how after the flood um the generation of man would be 120 years. Uh and now we see now in modern times sometimes people don't even make it out of their teens. Uh but definitely very few people make it to 100 and even less make it to 120 or so but um uh, so it's just contradictions it's it, why would God say things and set them in stone because they're in the Bible. That's basically set in stone, and then turn out they are true. They're not real. They aren't consistent. They aren't faithful. They aren't forever. And that may or may not be one of the forever things. I actually don't think the generational statement is a forever statement. It was a statement though that that will be the generation of man, basically that his years would be. I think it was 120 if I remember right. But how many people do you know make it to 120 years? And my only point is, why would God say that if God knows at some point everything will become so polluted and corrupt and people and overcrowded and people just wouldn't live that long anymore for a time? Like I said before, when we talked about telomeres and whatnot, it's entirely possible that people will be living hundreds of years again. I truly believe that. And it sounds crazy, like a Twilight Zone episode literally Uh, But it's entirely possible if you believe what's in the Bible. And if you're a thumper that believes everything from Genesis to Revelation is true and undisputable, then you have to also believe that it's entirely possible for people to live hundreds and hundreds of years. Back to the subject, though. Jehoiada's passed away at 130. So what do you think the king will do since Jehoiada would seem to be his steering mechanism to stay on the righteous path? Verse 16. They buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he'd done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. So um, Jehoiada got the burial of a king, even though he was a priest. Um he got buried with the kings. And the narrator here, a scribe of Second Chronicles, is letting us know basically in his their opinion, he deserved it because he did good during his time. And it says for Israel. And when it says Israel, it's talking about the all the tribes collectively, um, not just um, Judah, not just Israel, even though they are two separate kingdoms at the, um, this point in the narrative, at least along the way. Um, still, it's talking about, uh, maybe it is actually just talking about the good that he did for the kingdom of Israel. I don't think so. I think we were talking about, yeah, we're talking about the kings of Judah. And it's the city of David. So, yes, yeah, when it's saying Israel, it's not talking about the kingdom of Israel. It's talking about the good he did for all the tribes collectively, apparently. Because remember, King David is of the kingdom of Judah, not of the kingdom, or he was of the kingdom of Israel. But after he passed away, after his son Solomon passed away, then they split up into two kingdoms. And so at this point, it's I'm not really sure why they're saying uh, Jehoiada did so much good for Israel, in Israel, since... Again, there are two kingdoms at this point, and he's associated with the kingdom of Judah, not the kingdom of Israel. So, again, I think it's saying, generally speaking, that it's talking about all the tribes collectively. Just my opinion. Verse 17. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. So, um, now the priest is gone. And some of the leaders have gotten the king's attention. And what are they saying? Verse 18. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols and wrath upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. So um, so those rulers, those uh, I'm, 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 it seems like something's missing. Um, the leaders went to the king and after that suddenly They've fallen into idolatry, just like that, where they're taking up the idols again. And according to the scribe here, the narrator, that was the cause of more wrath upon them. It seems irresistible for the people. Verse 19, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. So the narrator is letting us know that the people were given uh, leniency and chance to turn back from their um, wickedness and idolatry and in deserting God. And I'm just saying it's God because that's how it's, they're, they're worshiping And It's God, whether we believe that's God Almighty or not, that's what it's saying. So we're just reading. Um, and the people are hard-headed. Verse 20, then the spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you've forsaken the Lord. He also has forsaken you. So it seems, um, it's saying the spirit of God came upon Zechariah. So that's like we talked about before, when people are induced, it's not a choice they get. They seem to uh, have the spirit move in them and make them say things whether they want to or not. So I, I think that. Here's another example of what we just read in verse 20. I think that um, belies what some of those same Bible-thumping preachers say the unforgivable sin is. They claim, even though it's not what the gospel says, it's not what Jesus says, they claim that when people are delivered up before the synagogue of Satan and facing Antichrist, I'm paraphrasing, um, that if they aren't faithful to what the Holy Spirit tells them to say, then that's the unpardonable sin. Well, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's true. I think what it was referring to, what Jesus was referring to when he was talking about the unpardonable pardonable sin was just what he said. What they were referring to as far as um, the elect um, not saying what uh, the Holy Spirit leads them to say, it doesn't make sense because we see here the Holy Spirit is able to induce people just like the other prophets throughout the Bible and the Holy Spirit or other spirits induce them. Even Satan, in one instance, at least one instance in the Gospels, induces people to speak. They speak. They say what it is that Spirit moves them to say. So it's not like if the Holy Spirit is moving and people to testify, people will be able to resist it, especially uh, the Christian elect, the chosen. It just doesn't make sense. And that's not even what Jesus says about the unpardonable sin. That's a whole other topic, though, so we won't go too much further on that but clearly here the holy spirit has moved Zechariah to basically throw a warning out to the people and let them know uh that they're going down the wrong way and that if they um that god is with them but if they choose not to be faithful if they choose idolatry if they choose choose some other entity some other god to worship that's fine they won't prosper and not only that they'll have shown themselves to forsaken god and god will then in turn forsake them which belies what with some of those same preachers tell you that God will never leave you or forsake you. But we just read that he has forsaken them. Verse 21. So they conspired against him and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Wow. So this Zechariah, he gave his prophecy right there to try and turn the people to faithfulness. Um, they weren't having it and they killed him. And I think this must be the same Zechariah that Jesus is uh, refers to when he talks about uh, a Zechariah being killed between the porch and the altar on the blood of Zechariah that that generation um, that he addressed would be, would be responsible for from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. This must be that same Zechariah that Jesus was referring to because he tried to lead the people to righteousness. And in turn, they killed him, stoned him with stones right there in the court of the house of the Lord, cold-blooded. Verse 22, thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, "The Lord, look on it and repay. So just as Zechariah was pass- passing away after being murdered, um, you know, being stoned as he's dying from the injuries. He um, prays basically that God will judge that moment, that God sees what's happening, and will repay it. That God's going to avenge him. And I think now that we're reading about it, and I put two and two together, that this is that same Zechariah that Jesus is referred—Jesus refers to in the Gospels. I guess God did repay it in a very big, big way, beyond what we're about to read about. You know that occurred right after Zechariah's uh, murder. Um, He got, he went down in history because Jesus mentioned him during his ministry. Verse 23, so it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. So it looks like just like that in the spring of the year, they were invaded by the Syrian forces who defeated them despoiled them, took all of their loot, their booty, and uh, spread it back home, sent it back home to Damascus in Syria. Just like that, all the riches gone. Verse 24, for the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. So the narrator scribe, Whoever it is of Second Chronicles is letting us know that eternal events, it seems, the big picture of things is um, them being repaid for their treachery, and um, that Syria was the means that God would use to repay their actions. Verse 25, and when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. It's his son. I'm sorry, we'll, we'll I'm going to read it again and then we'll go back. So verse 25, and when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died and they buried him in the city of David. But they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Isn't that interesting? So even though Jehoiada wasn't a king, he got buried in the tombs of the kings because he was honorable, according to what the narrator says. Whereas one of the kings who wasn't honorable has died now. And uh, he doesn't get buried with the kings. Why? Because he wasn't honorable. And it's um, the one thing about it says uh, the, the sons of Jehoiada... Um, I don't think it was sons that they killed. Maybe it was, but I, you see there's a little footnote next to it. Um, I think it means the son of Joy, the meaning Zechariah, I would think is who it's referring to. Um, that that's why they reaped those things, because they killed him unjustly. Verse 26, these are the ones who conspired against them. Zabad, the son of Shemit, the Amalitess, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Shemrith, the Moabites. So, um, two uh, Moabites are who conspired against him um, uh, and basically stabbed him in the back. Verse 27, now concerning his sons and the many oracles about him, and their pairing of the house of God, indeed they're written in the annals of the book of the kings. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So, That has summed up Joash's um, reign as king. It seemed like a mixed bag and ended on a down note. And his son, Amaziah, has taken his place. And the narrator here in verse 27 is doing what they have done again in the end. Let us know. If you want to read more about it, check out the books of the kings, which we already read. Um, That was the last verse in this chapter, though, that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and hope you'll join me again. Love you. See you next time. Peace be with you.